0: Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message.
1: Hi, everybody. My name is Lainey Rinke. I'm the Kids Director here at Simple Church, and I am here to share the message with you today. Um, I have missed so much seeing your kids' faces. You know, before all of this quarantine, I got to be down there every single week teaching kids or sitting with kids as they hear the Word of Jesus and doing silly stuff, playing weird games um, and making crafts and memorizing verses. And I have to say, I miss that a lot. Though I have been keeping pretty busy, I don't know if you've, you've checked out the kids' content yet, but I've had a lot of fun working with our other teachers and um, other leaders in our community making content for your kids. So um, again, I kind of miss seeing if they're going to laugh at my jokes, but I'm just hoping that they are or that they're laughing at the fact that I'm trying to make a joke. Regardless of that, I'm excited to be here today um, talking to you all and not your kids. This is an exciting experience. So what I'm talking about today is we're finishing up our series called Church Defined. Church Defined. So what we've been doing is we've been going through and redefining our church in a biblical way, as opposed to the ways that we might have a tendency to do. And while I was prepping for this, I started last night. Just kidding. I've been stressing about this for a while now. Uh, While I was prepping for this, Erin had asked me a question about asking to see if I had a moment in my life that I felt like was a defining moment. And I thought about it for a while, and the first thing I thought of was maybe like when I decided I was going to be a music therapy major in college. And I realized that that was something that that described me, described my life. But I settled on a moment that really, I believe, defined who I am as a person. So, like I said, I'm a music therapist, and I have only been a music therapist for about two years now. Mm-hmm. But when I started my first job as a music therapist, um, it was at a psychiatric hospital. I'm still, still there today, just um, not full time like I used to. My first week, I was shadowing an intake specialist. So, that's the person who does the assessment with you right when you come into the hospital. And this particular day, the intake specialist was doing an assessment on a woman who came in and she was visibly extremely nervous, very anxious, and tearful throughout her assessment. And she told this story that was devastating to me. She told a story about how she was, had witnessed this shooting at a courthouse. She had witnessed this shooting at a, in a courtroom and it was a 16-year-old boy who had been Shot and killed after some sort of confrontation. And not only did she witness this traumatic event, but she also worked at the courthouse. And so throughout this assessment, she told about how the, by the time she gets to the courthouse, Steps. She is fighting back an anxiety attack. She has to relive this trauma every single day. And I'll tell you, me sitting in in the corner as like a baby music therapist, I'm just like doing everything I can not to be super distracting by how hard I'm crying. If you know me, you know also that I'm a crier, empathetic person. (laughs) And after this happened, I had this lady's face in my head for like weeks. And I'm I'm not being cliche, I'm not just being cliche, I'm being a little cliche, but it's because it's genuine. When I say, when I close my eyes at night, hers was the face that I saw. I saw this woman's face in my head. And looking back on it, I realize now that it was that moment and the time after it, where I really, I realized that I, I have been designed in such a way that I am meant to walk in other people's lives as they go through difficult things. That I was designed to walk along people in that way. And that moment defined who I am as a person. It's defined my decisions it's defined um, my relationships the jobs i apply to the books that i've read Uh, this moment has designed how i interact with people and who i interact with it has defined everything about me and the problem when we define ourselves uh, in as a church in ways that are not biblical is that all of our decisions all of our words this, what we think about ourselves is based on that incorrect definition. So like in the past, we've defined ourselves by the building we're in, what the pastor looks like, how the pastor speaks, what the people inside look like or how they sing or how they vote or what they think about this or that. And these details might describe us as a church, but they don't define us as The people of Jesus. They don't define us as followers of Jesus. So today I want to discuss what I believe is the most important way that we as a church were built to define ourselves. And that is we reach people. Before I get further into this, I wanna to say to anyone listening who I'm in relationship with, and especially if I'm in a relationship with you and you don't follow Jesus, this is not just a manipulative plan to get you to come to my church or get you to join my club, no. I reach people, we reach people because we love them well enough that we want them to experience what we've experienced in Jesus. So I told you that I felt like this was the most important. And and one of the reasons is that um, Jesus expresses this in his final words, in his last words on earth. And last words are important. They tell people who we are. They um, express what we believe to be is most important to us, right? So I looked up some famous last words. Um, And I'm going to read them to you. So the first one I have here is Beethoven. So Beethoven was a composer. And one thing we know about him is that in like the later part of his life, he was totally deaf. He couldn't hear anything. And, um, but he still kept on composing. A lot of people say that he could like hear the music in his head. Anyway, so his last words were, I will hear in heaven. It reveals to him what he felt was most important. Then Da Vinci, the inventor and painter, he said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. I feel like and she may have been a bit of a perfectionist. Next, composer, another composer. I like music. Gustav Mahler died in bed conducting an imaginary orchestra, and his last word was Mozart. An- another composer. Uh, Joseph Wright, this one's one of my faves, was a linguist who edited the English dialect dictionary, and his last word, allegedly, was Dictionary. And then I was reminded of these last words. Um, Jack from the Titanic, his last words, the thing most important to him was never let go. Right before Rose let him go. Anyway, our last words, our last words represent what is most significant to us. It reveals our heart. Jesus' last words on earth before ascending into heaven, after he had raised from the dead and before he went up to heaven were this. Matthew 28:19 through 20 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. So, this verse has a couple different parts. But before I talk about it, I feel like sometimes we view this scripture, which you may have heard before, we call it the Great Commission, right? It's a very famous piece of scripture. Again, Jesus's last words. We view it as a, um, a statement directed at like the church. And I put it in air quotes because the church is a people, right? The church are is the followers of Jesus. But sometimes we view it as like the the pastor of the church was meant to hear this message or like, the five people on staff of the church was meant to hear and follow this message. But I have to say, this message is talking to you. If you were a follower of Jesus, this is talking to you. And I think as like the five people on staff at church, we do an okay job of the second half. Like that one is, sometimes I feel like it's easier to do, the teaching the teaching people about Jesus, because especially right now, it's super easy to make a video and to blast it out to you know, thousands of people on the internet. Uh, thanks, technology, right? It is, it's, and even if like, there's not a lot of people to share our video, we could pay Facebook to share it for us. That second half is, is not the hard part. The hard part for us is the first part where it says, go and make disciples. So what we're talking about here is walking alongside people going and walking along alongside people and teaching them to follow Jesus. How many of you ever thought, man, if only that person knew Jesus, they'd be happier or if only not that person knew Jesus, they wouldn't be struggling so much. Or if only that person knew Jesus, they'd be nicer to me. Or if only that person knew Jesus, they'd be on fire. I think that a lot. And I, and I think we, we think about this in an abstract way, but if Jesus had heard us saying those, I believe the words he would say to us is, okay, you go. You go. Even if you've ever, maybe you've brought up to church leadership that, Oh we should really have a this ministry or if we if we had a group like this it would be so cool and maybe church leadership has said something like okay go ahead and lead that super annoying right it's super annoying but the reason they respond that way is because in the bible go make disciples it's talking about you it's talking about you. Aaron DeLong cannot reach every single person at the church, church, much less every person outside of the church. He just can't. This is talking about you. But I say this and you're like, well, Laney, that's good that you are so good at reaching people, which is not true. I, do not, I don't feel especially gifted at telling people about Jesus or bringing people to Jesus um, because it's hard it is hard. And even if your gifts are different than mine, it's hard. And I am here to validate that feeling and also tell you that the Bible acknowledges that as well. Um, in Luke 10, says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So here what we're talking about is the harvest as people who will come to know Jesus. And the workers are us. And here the Bible says, the harvest is plentiful. There are so many people who would come, to, would come to Jesus, but the workers, there's just not that many of us. And I don't think it's just talking about the fact that there's not that many people who know Jesus. I think it's talking about the fact that there's, there's people who know Jesus who aren't willing to do the work, aren't willing to do the work. You know, some studies show us that in the past year, Less than 5% of people in America invited someone to church or connected someone with God in some way. Less than 5%. Something is stopping us from reaching people. I think one of those things is that we make excuses. And one of the most common excuses, at least in my house, is that um, I'm an introvert. I'm introverted. And I say in my house because I can relate to that. I'm an introvert. I recharge my batteries when I'm alone. You're like, Laney, you're so outgoing. And I'm like, okay, I can be outgoing, but I'm an introvert. I can act like an extrovert, but I'm an introvert. That's how I recharge my batteries. And even more than me, my husband, Elliot, I don't know if you've ever met Elliot, but if you have, you know that he is a giant introvert. He loves being alone. He thrives when he is alone. And I'm joking, but also I'm not, because that is how he recharges his batteries. And it's, it's, it takes way more energy for him to be around, especially big groups of people, than it does to be alone. But what I see Elliot doing is, even though it is more difficult for him, even though he wasn't wired to thrive in groups of people, is he makes decisions to be intentional and to reach people anyway. So, um, Some of you may have joined or heard about our date night group that we did. What was it, last year? That was his idea because, first of all, small groups are easier when you're an introvert. But second of all, he was being intentional about knowing people and reaching people. And then also, he's made the choice to value grow groups because he understands that he has to be intentional and work to reach people because how he was wired is to prefer being alone. But he also reminded me that he does sometimes use that he's an introvert as an excuse. So putting that out there. Okay, the next excuse I think we hear is that we don't know enough. And I totally relate to this one. So John four twenty eight through 30 says, and th- this, starts right after Jesus sat with the Samaritan woman at the well and told her things about herself that no one would know unless they were God and offered her something better for her life. And she is pumped. So it says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. So what we see here is this woman just met Jesus. And we also see that she's not even sure about who he is. Like it says, could this be the Messiah? She doesn't even know, but she is inviting people anyway. And if you were in this Bible study, we do Bible study every day at 11, open to anyone. You can come, hang out. Um, If you were in this Bible study with me, we talked about how don't let not knowing enough stop you from telling people about jesus and that afternoon i texted pastor aaron and i told him hey i know you've been asking if we other people want to preach i'm in if you'll have me that was the point of obedience for me that was why i am here because this verse and so the next excuse i hear is i'm just not good at that i'm just not good at telling people about Jesus, or speaking about my faith, or reaching people, or investing in people. I'm just not good at that. And I understand. We were all given different gifts. Ephesians 4:11 through 13 says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So we're saying here that God gave us prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And I could go down that list and be like, well, I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a teacher. And I could use that as an excuse. But here's the thing. The next part says to equip his people for works of service, so that we might build up the body of Christ, so that we might reach more people for Christ. We were equipped with people who are good at telling people about Christ. We were, we were given these people. So it's just, it's just not, it's not an excuse. Next one I have, um, and this one I feel is a little bit more serious. It's, I can't tell people about Jesus because who am I? Who am I to tell someone about Jesus? Look at my life. Ephesians 2, 19 through 21 says this. So now you Gentiles, no longer strangers, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. When we choose to follow Christ, that's it. We're in God's family a couple of weeks ago with Pastor Jason Hanish we talked about how when you're at a friend's house and you start doing dishes or like picking up you know your friend is like oh no 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 don't worry about it don't you're good just sit down and then you go home and you don't get the same reaction right you're expected to pick up you're expected to take care of your own house well this is our family it's not like um, you know you're you were invited to a wedding and you're not sure if you have a plus one or not, you're not sure if you can take someone with you, this is our party. I am no longer a stranger or a foreigner, I am a citizen along with all of God's holy people. You might not feel like one of God's holy people, but this verse is saying you are citizens along with all of God's holy people when you follow Jesus. So maybe you don't make any of these excuses, but you're just like, Laney, Why? Uh, I don't want to. I don't wanna reach people, it's hard. And you're right. One of my favorite comedians says, it's 100% easier to do nothing than it is to do something. And I'm totally in line with that. It's way easier to do nothing. People are hard and maybe you've been burned before or you feel like it's just never worked out in the past. Um, And if you're not a Christian I will tell you, you don't have to. You're asking me why and saying you don't want to. You don't have to. If you are not a Christian, you get a pass on this. I will tell you that you should still listen to these strategies because it'll change your life in a good way. (laughs) But if you are a Christian by not reaching people you are missing out on god's best for you and i'm gonna tell you more about that later because it's really important but i want to save it and teach you what the bible says about how to reach people because that might help us to feel a little bit less overwhelmed feeling a little overwhelmed okay so this is hard but the Bible gives us strategies. It demonstrates for us how to reach people. So Matthew, 20, or Matthew 9, 9 through 12 says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. So we can deduce from the text that Matthew was a tax collector. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. Notice here. Jesus sees Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, assuming that he is a tax collector, knowing that he's a tax collector because Jesus is God. Um, And he, first thing he says is, Matthew, you disgust me, you sinner. No. First thing he says is, follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So Matthew gives us a model here for how to reach people far from God. And the first thing that we can see that Matthew does is he invests. So I'm gonna explain that before I do. Um, If you've ever been to my house, you will know that I like to play board games. And I'm not talking like Scrabble or like Boggle or like all I can think of is word games right now. Anyway, I'm talking about like weird nerdy board games. That's what I like to do. That's what my husband, Ellie and I like to do together. We like to play weird games and we like to play tabletop RPGs. That is role playing games and they are fun. But if I didn't have a relationship with you, we had never, maybe we would met, but like I not really spent any time together. You didn't know who I was. And I was like, "Hey, want to come over and play a three-game, a three-hour game of Dead of Winter, which is just a, a nerdy board game?" Um, you might, rightfully so, say, "No, thanks." And it's the same thing with Jesus, right? There are so many misconceptions about who Jesus is that if I had never met you and you didn't know Jesus, and I approached you and was like, "Hey, want to come over and talk about Jesus?" You might, rightfully so, look at me and say. No, thanks. And so we know, or we can assume that Matthew took the time to invest in people by spending, spending time with them. Spending time with them because he, it says here, again, um, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. He invited what the Bible later, later on in this verse calls the scum of the earth. Matthew was the scum of the Earth, Matthew was the scum of the earth as a tax collector. Back in the day, tax collectors were traitors to their country. They um, stole from their own people, and uh, they were liars, they were thieves, they manipulated. And he invited people just like that to his house. And they said, yes, so we can assume that he invested in them, that he has spent time with them. It is so easy to look at someone, look at a disreputable sinner, and I put it in air quotes because we're all sinners, anyway, um, it's so easy to look at people and to say, they need Jesus and to sit and to judge and to never get to know that person, invest in their life or spend time with them but that is what Matthew had done. You know, these are people who he had invested in. And notice, too, that these were the people that were in Matthew's circle of influence. So uh, we would call that his 20 square feet, right? These are the people that, are, that God has put in Matthew's life in order that he could have influence over them. So have you ever texted um, a pastor of the church, Pastor Aaron or Pastor Kyle or whatever, have you ever texted them and been like, hey, can you meet with my friend? I think that they really need someone to talk to. I really want you to tell them about Jesus. And Kyle or Aaron would say yes to that, right? But your friend probably said no. And the reason is, <laughs> Pastor, your friend is not in Pastor Aaron's circle of influence, but guess whose circle of influence they are in? Yours, they're in your circle of influence. That person was put in your life by God so that you would influence them. Maybe you're thinking, I don't have a circle. I don't really have that many people in my life. And if this is true, find one. Stop expecting for people to show up in your life. Stop just hoping you'll, you'll meet people in your life. Instead, show up in other people's lives show up and spend time in other people's lives. The other thing that Matthew probably did is spend time with people doing what they like to do or what they knew how to do. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 23 says, and this is the living Bible paraphrase, whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. I do this to get the gospel to them and also for the blessing I myself receive when I see them come to Christ. This is saying, find common ground. Find a way to connect with people, especially people who are different than you. So I think about, I used to work for this, excuse me, organization called Young Life. And Young Life is a Christian organization that is, uh, goal is to reach teenagers along with other communities of young people. And I was a middle school leader, so I I hung out with middle schoolers. And one of the things that we did in Young Life is called contact work. And contact work is when you go to where kids are. You go to where kids are hanging out so that you can make relationships with them. And so a couple times a week, we would go to like a school cafeteria during lunchtime and we would help. We didn't help. We just talked to kids. Or um, as I, my relationships with kids grew, I would take, like, a group of girls to go to the mall and go window shopping. I hate the mall. It is not a place for me. But guess who didn't hate the mall? Or doesn't hate the mall. Middle school girls. That was a thing that we were able to do together. And I, I didn't, you know, invite those middle school girls over to play a three-hour board game with me. I did what they liked to do. And along the way, I spent time to actively listen and care for them and to ask questions. I do not If you are in a relationship with a middle school girl, you know, sometimes they care about stuff that in the long run, it's probably not that important or significant. And it can be very tempting to say, why do you care about this? Stop worrying about that. You're, you, in the, law, in the grand scheme of things, this does not affect your life that much. And, and I don't think that's super helpful for building our relationships. Instead, we spend time maybe asking questions. Asking, asking questions. Uh, actively listening and caring. And Matthew understood that to reach people, he had to spend time with them. He had to love them as they were. You know, I'm, I'm going to guess that when he invited these tax collectors and disreputable sinners to his house, that he wasn't like, hey, you can come me my friend Jesus, but you got to be on your best behavior. No jokes about stealing from people. I'm serious, guys. No, he loved them as they were. And he loved them enough to share Jesus, even though there was a chance that they might have embarrassed him in front of Jesus. And another way that we can invest in people other than time and love is money. So money is a tool that we can use to invest in people. Again, thinking back to my middle school friends, if we were ever to go get ice cream or Starbucks, middle schoolers love Starbucks, Um, if we were ever to go and a, a girl didn't have money, there wouldn't even be a question in my mind that I would pay for that for them. And it's not about buying friendship, it's about using money as a tool to invest in someone, to invest in someone's life, to deepen your connection with someone. I think about a friend sent me a cookbook in the mail last week as a way to invest in our friendship. I think about, you know, I had a best friend growing up and we had an agreement that uh, when we were together If one of us ever had money and the other one didn't, we would just pay for each other, and it would all even out because we were investing in each other's lives. And then the other tool that we can use to invest in people is belief. So thinking about myself and me speaking in front of you right now, I think back to the people who have invested belief in my life. And so the first thing I think of is my youth leader in high school named Amanda who told me as I was going into my senior year, hey, Laney, next year when you graduate, you want to come back and be an intern? I think you'd be great at it. And I think about, um, I taught at Kids Church, and I think about the kids director there, Michael, who said, Lainey, we love when you teach. You are such a natural. We want you here all the time. By the way, I think I was pretty bad, but I got better. And then I think about later, my friend, Heidi, who was a pastor at a church and I was just the piano player. And I, I remember a specific time when she was like, hey, you know, if you wanted, instead of playing piano, you could pe- pre- preach the lesson. And at the time I was like, heck no, that will never happen. And I think about Aaron, who maybe like nine months ago, it was at like a prayer night and I was walking off the stage after playing background keyboard. And he said something like, you ever thought about being up here? And I was like, "Mm." and he was like, I think that that would, that you would be really good at that. And all of these people have invested belief into my life to help me grow closer to Jesus. And the thing about investing is that we can't do it from far away. You know, as we read further on in the Matthew verses, it said the Pharisees saw this, as far as like Jesus hanging out with the sinners, and, and they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And you may have heard this verse before. And it, made, it brought up something for me. It made me think, when people need healing, you can't heal them from, from far away. You know, If you know that your next-door neighbor is sick, you can't just call an ambulance from your house and just hope they'll show up. We've gotta get up close. We've got to get up close with people to invest. And sometimes that takes work. So the next thing that we see modeled for us, the next strategy for reaching people we see in these Matthew verses are invite. And we see two different examples of inviting happening here. The first one is Jesus. Because in the beginning of the verses it says, Jesus approached Matthew and he said again, stop what you're doing, you disgust me. No, Jesus approaches Matthew and the first thing he says to him is come and follow me. That's it. Sometimes we have it backwards, right? Where we say, you'll be welcome here when you change your ways or you need to stop what you're doing so that Jesus can love you. But that is so the opposite of what's modeled for us in the Bible. It's the opposite. And I think about even maybe you're someone who has felt like you're not invited to know Jesus because of who you are. And I hear this so much working at the hospital, especially with people maybe recovering from addiction or healing. Their mental health is healing that they say to me, well, I would love to get back to my faith or... I would love to go to church more, but I just want to clean myself up first. Or I just want to work through this issue, and then I'll go back to church. I'll just do this, and then I'll start reading my Bible. I'll just do this, and then I'll start praying. And it reminds me of, in my childhood, for a brief time, I don't know how brief, actually, for a time, uh, a woman would come to our house to clean it, like maybe once a month or something. And what stands out to me most about this time is that every time before she came to our house to clean, my mom would go on a cleaning rampage, clean the whole house. And I remember this because then I had to clean it, and I hate cleaning and blah, blah, blah. But the point is, it never made sense to me. Why do we have to clean the house when someone's coming to clean the house? When we think we need to clean ourselves up before we, um, before we spend time with Jesus, before we get to know Jesus, it's like taking a shower before we take a shower Jesus calls us by our name and says, come follow me. It is the devil that calls us by our sin. And other than the Jesus strategy we see here for inviting, we also see Matthew's strategy. Because Matthew, he had to do some work first, right? We talked about this. Matthew invested and then he invited. And maybe you're thinking, or maybe you've thought in the past, like every time I tell someone I'm a Christian, people judge me. But that's the point. That's why we do the investing first because there are so many misconceptions about who Jesus is and who we are as a people, as a church. But this takes intention. It takes effort. And here's why we do it. Here's why we invite people to come to church specifically or um, come come watch a church sermon online. Here's what I did. Back to that Ephesians 4, verse. We talk about how we were equipped with pastors and evangelists in order to build up the body of Christ. You don't need to have those gifts. Those don't need to be your gifts. Teacher, pastor, though, it's okay if, if those aren't your gifts. But the great thing is that Aaron DeLong has those gifts. There's teachers at our church who have those gifts. There's teachers at other churches who have those gifts. God gave us those people so that we could reach others. And so I want to share sometimes we invite people with this expectation that we're going to watch them transform that we're gonna be there to harvest that, that we're gonna see them come to Jesus, and it can really hurt when it doesn't happen, and we can build up this wall because of it. Because inviting someone takes a little bit of vulnerability, right? It takes a little, we take some risk when we invite someone to church, especially I get really excited about things, and when people don't like the same things I like, it makes me sad. But we have to be willing to be vulnerable. So I have a friend and we have been friends for a while investing in each other's lives we work together and we love each other dearly and one thing that i learned about her in the beginning of our relationship was that she's been very hurt by a church very hurt by a church and she has a, and because of this she is not interested in all the same things i'm interested in and after some investing in each other's lives i started just mentioning church right i started maybe casually inviting her. And I don't even know if I was always aware of it. It's just that I love Jesus. And sometimes I talk about Jesus. And and I started more intentionally inviting her. And eventually she said yes to one of my invitations after a long series of, uh, no thanks. I know you love me, but no thanks. Um, and the thing that actually got her to come to church was a gift that God had given me, which was music because I I think that I was playing guitar for the first time on stage. And I was really nervous about it because instead of being in the back of the stage behind the keyboard, which I love, I was like at the front of the stage. And I want to be at the back of the stage. stage. Anyway, so she came to support me. And she came and she was a little nervous. And she was like, well, I might not stay for the whole time. And I was like, it's going to be great. It's only an hour. You're going to love it. And after church, I ran up to her and I was like, What'd you think? And I'm expecting her to be like, oh, lady, my life has changed forever. Thank you so much. I'm going to come back every day and commit my life to Jesus. And that's not what happened. And that's okay. She looked at me and she said, yes, church. And at first, like, I was devastated. My heart heart was broken and my life was over. Um, But that was a very brief second because we're still investing in each other's lives. And it's not my job to change my friend's heart, right? I'm not equipped with that. That's God's job. God changes hearts. I am a worker. He is the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. I'm not the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. And also, this doesn't mean I won't invite her again. It doesn't mean I still don't, It doesn't mean I don't still want her to know Jesus. So we talked about investing in people and inviting. And I want to tell you that that's it. That's the two-part formula. But we're missing one. We're missing one. And this is the one I'm most excited to talk to you about. Because when you've done the investing, you've done the inviting, some people, including me, want to be like, ah, I did it. I did the hard work. but. Think we'd be forgetting the most important part, and that is include. Mark sixteen fifteen says, and then he told them, "Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone." I want to talk about that word "go." So it happens here in the Great Commission as well. Um, it's the first thing God says. He says, "Go and make disciples. Go." everyone these are important words that i think sometimes we miss because we're not including people in our community that's the last strategy it's include don't just say that person needs jesus but live it out include people in jesus this one i feel is the hardest because we are comfortable with the people who are like us right we're most comfortable with people who look like us who think like us who vote like us who act like us who sing like us who dance like us whatever these are the people we are most comfortable with but jesus modeled for us time and time again in the gospels that he wanted to reach everyone everywhere and not just invite but to include them, to include them in his community, to welcome them in his community. You know, examples of this are, like we talked about, the Samaritan woman. For her, this would not have been a comfortable situation. He was a Jewish man, she was a Samaritan woman. It would not have been comfortable. And we see Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who Jesus was in relationship with. And we see throughout the gospels that Pharisees were antagonistic they were actually antagonistic towards Jesus. And yet still, he spent the time to invest and invite. And then we see it with other people in the Bible as well. Philip and the Ethiopian. That, those were two very separate cultures. Like this is the Ethiopian. It describes him as a eunuch. This is weird for Philip. But he still spent the time to invest and invite. And, and then we see Paul. Paul preached to Gentiles, non-Jews, people who had crazy views, way different than him. And he still took the time to invest, invite, and include. It doesn't just mean reaching people who aren't like you, though. Investing also means fostering true belonging. So Brene Brown is one of my favorite authors. She is a secular researcher. She does really cool research on Shame and um, vulnerability, and she wrote this book called Braving the Wilderness. It's a great read. She talks about what true belonging is versus fitting in. So, fitting in is when you really want to be somewhere and they don't really care if you're there one way or another, and true belonging is when you really want to be somewhere and they want you there too. And as the church, we were designed to foster true belonging, not just common enemy intimacy. So this is also another Brene Brown um, term, common enemy intimacy. Common enemy intimacy is when we're joined together um, because we have the same enemy, right? Because we hate the same stuff. So an example of this would be like, if you have a friend at work who you get to, you talk all day long because you're both complaining about the manager. Or maybe you're in a Facebook group that's just aimed at yelling about the same thing. Common enemy, wow, it's hard to say. Common enemy, intimacy can also be, your common enemy can be injustice. And God says, blessed are the, uh, are the just, but when we're only joined together by the things we hate, we're not really in true belonging with each other we are designed to foster true belonging and sometimes that means the people who belong in God's family don't fit in sometimes it means fostering belonging will not be comfortable but that is what we are called to do and when we do it people know jesus i think about if you know my friend kalina at this church she came to the church because her boyfriend was coming to church she was like okay and then she stayed at the church because she liked the people and she decided she'd start serving and it was only until she was included by the community that she said wait i love jesus jesus is what i've been missing from my life is not the pastor that keeps people in church it's not the message it's the people so let's talk again about why why is reaching people so important why do we build up a community of believers hebrews 10:24 says let us not think of ways to or hmm, that's the opposite let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near we are better together we each other we motivate each other to do acts of love and good work we serve better together this is like what we've been talking about the last few weeks we serve better when we're together, we give more to do amazing things when we're together, we use our gifts well when we're together, we have genuine relationships when we're together, we were designed in a way to be better together. And here's the other thing. I said in the beginning, if you're not a Christian, you get a pass at all of this. But, I work in mental health care in a secular environment, and the thing that we talk about, probably above any other topic, is how to develop support, how to communicate better, and developing healthy relationships. It's the thing that we talk about most. Because secular research shows us that we are communal beings. We're totally reliant on one another. We are physically and mentally healthier when we're in community. We live happier, longer lives when we're in relationship. And we live more loving lives when we can understand and communicate with people who are different than us. And I believe that these are the blessings that God has built in to being obedient to this command. These are the blessings on earth that we have from reaching people but there are not just blessings on earth that god has built into this and this can be a little confusing because undoubtedly it's by grace that i've been saved we have been saved through faith not my works ephesians 2 8 through 9 says for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourself it is gift from god not by works so that no one can boast I like how God knows us, so he knows that he has to put the no one can boast part in there. Salvation is a free gift from God. When we die, the question is not, how many people did you invite? The question is, did you know Jesus? If you knew Jesus, salvation is a free gift from God. But then there are blessings built into reaching people. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body on earth, whether good or bad. The Bible is pretty clear that there are blessings for us, waiting for us in heaven if we follow God's commands, if we reach his people, if we love people well. Honestly, I have no idea what these are. I really don't. I don't understand it, but I know that they're waiting for us. So we reach people because blessings on earth are built into it, We reach people because we become a stronger, more giving, more loving church, more loving body of people. And we reach people because there are blessings waiting for us in heaven. So, love people well enough to share your community with them. It's time that we need to, as a church, as a group of people, not just Pastor Aaron or people on staff at Simple Church, as a a group of people who follow Jesus, who love Jesus, it's time for us to redefine who we are. Because in the past, we've been defined as exclusive. Exclusive. We've been defined as judgmental. We've been defined by a group of angry people joined together in common enemy intimacy. And it's time. Let's be defined instead by how we love people well enough to spend time doing that investing, inviting, and including people into our lives, our community, and our Jesus. We reach people let's pray. (sighs) Hey God, thank you that you know us enough that you know that it is hard to reach people. God, thank you that you've given us the gifts and the people to make it a little easier. God, I pray that you would be with us as we figure out Who is someone in my circle of influence? Who is someone that you've put into my life who I was designed to reach for you, God? Reveal that name to me right now. Who is it who's in my circle of influence? God, and I pray that as we continue investing in that person's life, investing in those people's lives, and you would give us the courage and the strength to invite, you would give us the opportunities, the words to speak, Lord. We know that you have the strength and we know that you have the desire and we love you, God. And I pray for people hearing this message right now who have felt like they are not invited to know you. God, I pray that you would reveal in their hearts that they 100% are invited to know you, God, that you call us by our name and not our sin. And if you're listening to this right now, and that's you, you're someone who hears God's invitation and wants to accept it and wants to follow Jesus and wants to be part of God's family, that you are right now, pray with me and take that moment to say yes to Jesus. So if that's you, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Teach me how to follow you. Teach me how to be more like you, and I will spend every day doing that. In your name, amen. If you are someone who made that decision today for the first time to follow Jesus, first know that there is a party going on in heaven for you right now. And then there is a banner on the screen that says, I said yes to Jesus. Click that banner. Raise your hand. Take that time to tell us about your decision today. And just know that we are celebrating with you. We are happy for you. We are so glad that you've made that decision today. We are so happy for you. And we're so grateful that you are here with us today and that you listened, and we love you. Thank you so much.
0: Lainey, thank you so much for delivering the word today. I want to celebrate your boldness in stepping out and preaching today's message. Thank you so much. For those of you today that made a commitment to Jesus, man, I am so proud of you. We're celebrating with you, and here's what I'm going to ask you. If you click that button and said, I'm raising my hand, I'm saying yes to Jesus today, here's my request is that you would fill out the connection card up here. Just click the button uh, or if you're watching on Facebook, there's a link in the description uh, for connecting with us. Just click that button, fill out that connect card. Let us know I said yes to Jesus today. We'd love to connect with you, help you know what your next steps are, maybe get you a Bible. We'll send you one in the mail if you'd like one. Uh, But we would just love to connect with you, celebrate with you, and resource you, and let you know we're here for this journey that you're on now with Jesus. Amen, everybody. All right. Well, at this time, this is an opportunity for you to give of your tithes and your offerings. We thank you for your faithfulness. We're so excited about what God is doing here through this season that we're in amidst the pandemic and uh, uh, your faithfulness in the way that you've been giving. Thank you so much for that. Um, th- th- there's a couple ways for you to give. They're going to be shared here on this screen. Easiest way if you're on at our online campus is to click the give button that is here and you can do that uh, through that or you can use our Simple Church app or you can text to give. You can uh, text the, the Phone number 84321. That's it. 84321. Put in any dollar amount in the text message and hit send, and it'll give you instructions on how to set it up for the first time. But after that, you're golden. It's the way that I choose to give. It's a very simple way to do it as well. So thank you again for your generosity. Thank you for being a giving church. Uh, One thing I want to share with you as I'm wrapping up our time here today is Father's Day is in a couple weeks, June 21st is Father's Day and even though we can't be together we are going to celebrate our dads and so here's what we're doing this year. We're giving you an opportunity to uh, nominate your dad or to uh, or to register your dad, register yourself, uh, or, or to uh, register your spouse for a free car wash at one of our local car washes and a yummy treat. So here's what's gonna happen. If you'll go to our website or go to our app, or even if you're in the online community, a link is being posted or has already been posted uh, for you to click. Uh, I know emails have been sent out as well, but you click that link, you register your dad, and on June 20th, uh, you'll come here between the hours of 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. You'll pick up your, uh, your, your token or your voucher to get your free car wash and a yummy treat we know that dads are gonna love. So help us celebrate dads. Make sure you register yours. If you're a dad, register yourself. If you're a spouse, register your spouse. Make sure that, that, uh, they, they honor, that you honor dads along with us this year. All right, well, let me take just a moment and pray for us. There's a lot going on in our country right now. And uh, I'm going to pray for us as we dismiss. Father, thank you for the word that was delivered today. Thank you, Lord, for the way that it challenged us. And Lord, I pray that it trains us, that it leads us, that it, uh, Lord, defines us. Uh, And uh, God, I also pray for uh, the coronavirus. Lord, I pray that you would eradicate it here in this country and in this world. Lord, we pray for all those that are afflicted by it. Heal their bodies we pray that a cure comes forward we pray that every person that is impacted father by loss of job by loss of resource by loss of opportunity lord that you would provide from your abundance of provision in heaven lord for their lives for every need that they have lord help us as the church to rise up and respond to that as well to see those needs so that we can meet those needs lord and lord we also pray father that in this time of unrest this social unrest in our in our country lord we pray for healing we pray for racial healing we pray for the systemic injustice for our black brothers and sisters Lord that it would be eradicated that it would come to an end Lord that we would see racism upended not just in our country but in our own hearts in our lives Lord we pray that you would heal us father and we know God I know that even as these systems would be addressed and as they would be changed ultimately systems are managed by people So whether those systems are run well or improperly, Lord, those systems need to be managed by a person and a person themselves is managed by their own heart. So God, I'm praying for the hearts of every man, woman, and child in this country, Lord. Eradicate a racism among us, Lord. Let us seek for peace and unity together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you right back here at Simple Church next week.